The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. It's, just, it's not that, it's just that you turn me down on the mix. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, it's like, blame me at all. You want to hear from me? On the nuts on Broadway. Broadway. <laughs> on the nuts on Broadway. Just so I'll be that guy. Word in it. There. Piggy my, kaki my, no my, hide my. This is gone by lunchtime. It's Tuesday, November 24, and there's a real air of excitement in the room because tomorrow sees the opening of the 53rd Parliament of New Zealand. Ben Thomas is right there, dressed as Black Rod. He's got <laughs> velvet pantaloons and a hat like a pin cushion and one of those big sticks. He's going to bang on the door with it. Yep. Pantalones, as they say in Spain. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I don't really understand any of that opening of Parliament ceremony. I I read about it when I started working down there, and it all just seemed a bit silly. Well, it's sort of like a very slightly watered-down version of the stuff they do in Britain, which makes even less sense. And so we inherited it (laughs) because they did it. Seems fine. Can't believe we've kept that but banned fireworks. It's, well, yeah. It is. Have we banned fireworks? Because no one in Point Shev obviously got the memo about that, eh, Toby? It's like, it's like Beirut over there. It's, oh, it's a lot less punishing than it used to be, isn't it? I barely noticed it this year. I miss it myself. Oh, you want it back. You want more. Well, no, I get why people get upset about it. You want to be able to a- throw And I worry for the animals and that. Oh, we used to have the best times. That was, it was so cool. Yeah. But I, I get it. Times change, but... T- times only change in that people get older, I think. It's hard to replace the joy of a double happy lobbed at one's parent or... Mm. You know, Do you remember you're getting thumbs? your arms singed off mm. by a sparkler. Mm. Great times. The little mm. strings of pohars that were just like bang, 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 mm, bang, bang. Yeah. Those were the days. Roman candle. Game of bull rush, break someone's spine. But basically the entire Middle North Island Which, town of Fielding I mean, was sort of like one of those post-apocalyptic, no, pe- no adults kind of wastelands mm. for about a month around November in my youth. We've finished now the opening talkback section of Gone by Lunchtime. 
I want to acknowledge Flick Electric, who uh, helped keep the lights on. You had an idea for a Flick Electric sting, Ben. Yeah, as, as part of our move into <coughs> voiceover, <coughs> as a voiceover diversification business, I thought we could tie it in to the theme yep. of the podcast a bit more. Yep. Politics is about the, the ruthless exercise of power, mm. and what better way to do that than with Flick Electric? Mm. So just, good. Just, do you think they'd go for that? So, just like electric. It's so good. Pass the that on to the, pass that on to the guys at head office. Yeah. yeah. And tell them I came up with it. Okay. Um, and above, you got one for spin-off members? You know what I say about spin-off members. <laughs> Thank you. Annabelle <laughs> Lee Mather has just freshly won another sack of awards. Your your trophy cabinet must be basically subterranean now with all the trophies in it. What did you win? Well, I just at had the TV to clear awards? out some of my pony club ribbons yeah. and my <laughs> yeah. my Waiheke gymnastics team. Is that true? Beam. Is that um, true? Um, the pony club ribbons. Are, I don't think I ever won one for for gymnastics. No, to be that's fair. a lie. Um, no, my amazing. Um, Friend and colleague Mahingarangi Forbes won Best Current Affairs Presenter. Was that for the time she guested on Gone by Lunchtime? I think it was. I think it was. Exactly. <laughs> that was that was the episode that she was nominated for. <laughs> the Television Awards. Yeah. Yep. And she did a rousing speech about um, you know creating space for um, Maori and particularly Wahine Maori and mainstream and yeah it was just a really wonderful night and we also um, picked up an award for our Stories of Waitara documentary which was really exciting as well. Well done. Uh, the spin-off won an award as well uh, for Scratched which a team of terrific people put together. You should watch those too, not just Annabelle's shows. Um, and you guys were nominated too for um, On the Rag? Yes, On the Rag was a nomination for Leonie Hayden and Alex Casey and Michelle Court. Mm. Incredible uh, triumvirate. And we were also nominated for the Rob Mokoraka thing. That's right. Jess Feast, who's fantastic, made mm. Chopra. One of my friends texted me to say that their flatmate said I did a good tweet, so it's been a big week for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well done, Ben. Um, yes, the 53rd Parliament tomorrow. And it's the first ever majority government that we've seen under MMP. Um, the first ever pop, proper majority. And it will be. Just like the old days. It'll be a, a, um, a, a celebrity tyrant government, if um, Peter Goodfellow is to be believed. What did you. Peter Goodfellow is the president of the National Party and was under some pressure going into the AGM for the National Party, which was held over the weekend. And he survived, he won. And that followed giving a speech in which the key points or the points that got cut through were that the National had the misfortune of going up against um, very mean and bad and not fair, horrible media that over the course of the COVID-19 crisis, um, Jacinda Ardern had led something that was close to a tyranny. And there was also, what was there? There was one other, well, there was, there was, I think the celebrity got a little nod in there. That they're a celebrity government. Um, with... What was that all about, Ben? 
I think, well, Goodfellow is under pressure, right? Yes. There's a lot of criticism when your party gets about 26% of the vote, having been at about 45, 46% in the previous election, there's generally a presumption that some heads will have to roll. Um, the leader, mm. Judith Collins, survived. Mm. She was seen as having been given a bit of a hospital pass, you know, running out of warm bodies for new leaders in the vastly reduced caucus now. Jerry Brownlee fell on his sword, the deputy leader. But then there was, a, you know, eyes sort of turned towards the party structure outside Parliament, which is where Goodfellow sits. So these are the guys who are in charge of candidate recruitment, uh, fundraising, you know, organising the members to get out there and put up billboards and have cake stalls and host anonymous state-backed Chinese billionaires to host host them at their houses and mm. just pose for nice photos in exchange for $100,000 donations. Um, and so, you know, Goodfellow was backed into a bit of a corner. He'd also been criticised throughout the last three years for uh, what was seen as cultural failings within the party. Surprise, surprise, it turned out that the Tories were not necessarily um, a structure that was set up to make an accommodating space for women members, necessarily. Um, there was that internal report after the Jamie Lee Ross abuse and bullying allegations. So Goodfellow, and Goodfellow, you know, rightly or wrongly, is at the top of the pile there, and so is the focus for all of these complaints. And one by one, you could probably say, well, you know, that's explainable. Well, that wasn't his fault. Mm. These things happen. But then when you put it all together, you sort of start to think, well, actually, why is Goodfellow there? What are the positive things that he's bringing? <clears throat> so his speech, which I think we need to remember, ran very counter to the messages that both beloved former Prime Minister John Key and current leader Judith Collins were sending out, mm. which was that we need to, you know, look after our own backyard, get ourselves in order, look figure deep out into where our we own went souls. Wrong. Yeah, and instead Goodfellow lashed out, put the blame on everyone else, mm. the media, the the government, the idiot, 20% of the electorate who are just brainwashed idiots who went for that smiling celebrity tyrant, mm. Jacinda Ardern, because they love being peasant serfs. Um, and, and it was really interesting because I think that, you know, what he was doing was the exact sort of thing that Judith Collins and Key were warning about, which mm. was playing to what is now a vastly reduced base, 26% of the electorate, who are immune to Jacinda's wiles and were staying true to the national cause because those were the people in the room who would be voting on Goodfellow's presidency. So it made sense for Goodfellow, if, if his goal was just to retain his position, to say, yeah, it's not our fault, everyone's really unfair, we're being set upon by the outside world, but we're still the good guys. But, of course, you know, his speech was covered by national media and it just shows, you know, people who are, are refusing to accept that they, they did anything wrong in what was, you know, a doomed campaign, certainly because of COVID, but also pretty shambolic and, and not one that gave you many positive reasons to think that national should be in government. Um, so this was just a clear case of Goodfellow putting his own interests ahead of the party, um, which is the exact same thing that cost national so dearly during the election. And worse, it paid off for him, and the delegates re-elected him. So it's not a great sign for National. It's, a, it's the exact same thing that we saw for all those years when Labour were in the wilderness, isn't it? It's the uh, denialism. 
I mean, there was a bit of it after the 2017 election when it was it was not fair. We should be we got the most votes, and there was a that was a long time a lot of time wasted basically just in a pragmatic sense by moaning about that. And now for after being kind of roundly thrashed to then go well, you know, she's a celebrity prime minister. These are crazy times again. It's nothing to do with us, and that's exactly what the Labour Party did. It's John a, Key, didn't they? That it was like, look, oh, he's just a smile and wave. He's a flake. Mm. It's a celebrity thing. And and as John Key articulated, you know, quite unequivocally in his speech to the National Party AGM, that doesn't work. It didn't work with me. And it was, you know, he loved it when they were going for that because it meant that for the, 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 the sort of vast swathes of New Zealand, him under attack for being a flake just uh, was confirming them and their support in a way. When I worked in the Beehive in the John Key government, there were long periods where we acted as if there was no opposition. You know, there was there was nothing less relevant to us than than the Labour Party of the time. Yeah. You know, we would the, the Labour Party only existed as this vehicle for amusing news stories where they're all backbiting and leaking on each other and undermining their leaders and you'd you'd, you'd play a game trying to guess whose anonymous quote was from yeah. whom. Shane yeah. Jones was the only one who had really obvious kind of linguistic uh, traces. And and you know you would spend a lot of time wondering about what pressure groups thought, what the media thought, and thinking how the opposition would react was actually pretty much your lowest priority. And they're, they're, you know, I was there for six years, and there were probably about probably two or three good years like that where we just ignored Labour entirely. And apart from jokes and general debate, yeah, that, that's right. Like Labour literally was just a canvas for making funny jokes in general debate speeches. You know, we would spend more time prepping Finlayson to make jokes in a general debate speech than we would answering their questions at question time because, you know, because it it wasn't seen as a viable threat in some cases. And National are really in danger of heading down that same path now because if you look at their caucus, it's very small numerically. It does not have the talent that they have had for the last decade. You know, you can talk about a great team all you like, but if you go through person by person, Labour Labour's cabinet is is actually much stronger looking than National's shadow cabinet right now, um, and 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 the, you know, all they can do right now are the basics. The thing is, Lila Hari said on Q and A, the only thing that's relevant about National right now is that they're irrelevant. And I think that they should take that as a bit of a blessing in disguise right now. And they should use this time to actually go off, you know, use Tony Ryle or someone as their model, really immerse themselves and spend a year just learning about their portfolios while no one's expecting anything of them, while all of the while while the media are rounding on Ardern about things like house prices and while COVID vaccines are being uh, rolled out. And actually just learn how their portfolios work, really get to grips with them, make contacts and networks, and and don't just sort of think that you're going to roll up, do a few Googles, ask a few written questions, and somehow get into government again. It seems clear that National doesn't have an appetite for change at that level, and you can understand because they've obviously cycled through um, three leaders very quickly, um, they've lost um, a number of senior MPs, you know, some who have 
retired, some who have fallen out of parliament. Um, so obviously, while that's probably a role that really does need to be looked at, um, they just don't have the gonads to do that at the moment. And it's, um, I don't think it's very helpful, the comments made by Goodfellow, because if you want to win back, you know, your 400,000 voters, um, insulting them and, you know, implying that they're Christian fundamentalists that have been brainwashed by a fascist prime minister through COVID. Or, is, or just is, teeny boppers. Or teeny boppers <laughs> is, um, is um, probably not going to help you to achieve that. But one thing that does bring me joy is that I read on Twitter, I don't know if it's true or not, that when he was um, re-elected that they sung, so he's a jolly good fellow. And I just, I want I want to believe it. <laughs> want that to be true for me. Um, I think actually he was the original good fellow, like the whole song, that's where the song written comes from. Him. Yeah, when he was elected uh, president of the National Party and... 1712. Do you reckon David Carter gave out like odd fellows as part of his thing oh, to be man, like? That could be it. That'd be, that'd be, he made the inside Goodfellows successful re election yeah. campaign. Yeah. Kia ora, lovely podcast listeners. Jane here with a friendly reminder that Christmas is right around the corner. And, you know, presents and all that. The good news is we've got all, or at least some of your gift-giving needs covered at the spin-off shop. From tea towels to t-shirts, tote bags to Toby Morris prints or a copy of the spin-off book, our range of merch will look great under a tree or in a stocking or at a secret Santa exchange. In any kind of gift-giving situation, they'll look good, is what I'm trying to get at. But don't take my word for it. Go and see for yourself. Head to members.thespinoff.co.nz forward slash shop and just try to resist. Actually, don't try to resist. Just buy some stuff today, if possible. Thank you. Bye. A series of assonant approaches. Um, now, um, the other thing about National is they have reshuffled, and Dr. Shane Retty is now the the Doctor Deputy. Did deputy I not doc. say before the election that he would be deputy after the election? I said it on this podcast. Yes, you appointed Shane Retty as deputy leader of the National Party. Ben Thomas appointed the kiss Aisha Varel to cabinet. Um, it's the kiss of death. What for will those we two. do next? The that that seems like a smart appointment. Like he was the he was sort of by some distance the most <coughs> impressive person in the national campaign. I think it's fair to say, or in the kind of three month lead up to it. Insofar as he didn't make a tit of himself or anything. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that I think that is interesting is this split up of the finance portfolios where um, Simon Bridges was offered finance, uh, but he was not going to have treasurer, which was this new role that Winston Peters held at once in, in, in government. The, the only time there's ever been that and split before was yeah in the 1996 coalition agree uh, agreement where national... National uh, let Winston Peters be treasurer, but not finance minister, mm. which seemed at the time kind of like 
you know, how you have sort of like four world championship belts in boxing. Mm. You know, Winston Winston is the WBO finance minister, yeah. while Bill Birch was like the WBC finance minister and got to make all the decisions and or control a, all the money. It's a bit like the title, mm. the editor-at-large title, you know, <laughs> where you're like, you get to still have editor in your title, but please don't come into the office anymore. Yeah, the, 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 it's an executive producer credit for finance. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yes, so they've done this thing. Where Andrew Bailey, who was a bit of a dark horse, leaps up to number three in the lineup and gets the role of shadow treasurer, treasurer though there's no treasurer to shadow, <laughs> which is quite something. Well, well no, Robertson treasurer. actually does have both those is, roles. Is, that, is there a, is yeah, there he, a he is, title? He is the finance minister and the treasurer. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it just yeah. never gets listed because the two things have been the same. Uh, I mean, so, you know, I think the Australia separates out the treasurer yeah. and the minister of finance, and, and, and I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, the the the, the UK they have the chancellor of the exchequer, um, which again is you know a bit like you're dressed up as Black Rod. They like to give these things fancy <laughs> pageant like <laughs> titles, but the, I mean, the the key question really is whether or not, at a moment where clearly the economy is nationals. Uh, should be their strength. They have got a lot of territory to recover after a hell of a campaign, um, and it's been taken away from Goldsmith as a result. Does splitting the role strengthen their ability to do opposition, or does it dilute it? In practice, I think that it will dilute it. Um, so the the idea is that Bailey will be holding the government to account in you know going up against Grant Robertson in question time. Um, Woodhouse will be fidgeting with the numbers behind the scenes, I think, is the idea. Mm. I, I, I don't see the reason for the split. Andrew Bailey has to be rewarded. He's a Judith Collins loyalist. He's also very highly rated in the party for his um, financial knowledge. Um, you know, he is, he is a smart guy. Uh, he used to have the commerce portfolio and would sort of noodle away on obscure policies that nobody else was really interested in. But he, you know, he's a serious uh, thinker in this space, um, not particularly tested in the public. Um, most interesting thing about him is he's a former, I think he's a former paratrooper, and he pulled a sled across Antarctica. Well, wow. He's an adventurer. At last. Um, the... Chris Bishop gets COVID nineteen response. I half wondered whether or not Collins might pull an old pull 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 an old Muldoon and take finance for herself. You know because because you you she's a really good opposition politician. Like she's so good on you know she she basically pulverised Phil Twyford week after week, and you kind of wonder whether that's her history. Anything else stick out for you in there, um, Annabelle? Oh, um, Christopher Luxon he's getting got, getting Ewe development. Of course, he's fit, like well, yeah, he's he was the CEO of a company that had like core fi fi patterns mm-hmm. on it, so yep. infinitely and qualified. Was, and also like really impressive how it only took him like five, six, seven years to finally agree to allow Maori staff to wear. To wear tamoko, Do you think he so might get a tamoko like, himself? I hope so. Um, I feel like cover it up on the flight. because he's Pākehā. I feel like a national party politician doing that and then like 
landing in a one-month-long scandal about cultural appropriation is probably the natural <laughs> next step for the party Yeah, <laughs> as they try and He's rebuild. He's definitely been given a little bit of use it over there for now, please, Christopher. We've <laughs> got local government, iwi development and associate transport and you kind of, you know, you half wonder whether... He's quite good at the transporty stuff, to be fair. Well... He knows a bit about the transport. But you could have given stuff. him tourism. That would have been a that would have been a brave Ooh, move yeah. been to give him tourism and say he understands the way that the, the tourism industry works and can help to rebuild it. But um, not today, not today, Christopher. No, no. Joseph Mooney, yes, has treaty negotiations. Yeah, uh, Joseph Mooney. I understand <coughs> he's Tangata Whenua. I understand he's their third, the third Māori MP in the National Caucus. T- tell me more about him. I've not. No, that, that's I'm a, not a, that's, a, a, that's a, everything. A that's everything with, anyone with knows Joseph about Mooney. Joseph Mooney. He's that's the nice. he's the new um, Southland MP. So he follows. Uh, he's got big big shoes to fill. Big empty shoes to fill from Todd Barclay and Hamish oh Walker. God. Both have, having story. abandoned their shoes <laughs> to um, flee the electorate. Let's not forget about the tyrannical celebrity government. Uh, How that, could we forget that? That in the absence of much of an opposition, at this point, there something has started to happen in the last few weeks that you would have expected would have happened a bit more in the first term, but didn't, owing in large part, I think, to a series of uh, terrible events that obviously uh, you know characterised the first term, and that is they are getting attacked from the left quite mm. a bit, mm. and you've seen it with a kind of almost. It's almost a cliche, the people people trawling through Jacinda Ardern's old tweets and finding tweets that show her to be, <coughs> whether it's hypocritical or feeble or whatever, you know, having a go about housing and so on. And people also doing the, the other kind of trope that's emerged is uh, ruling out, Jacinda Ardern ruling things out, which she's ruled, you know, many things out, capital gains tax being the most prominent among them. I think the other emblematic... Thing that has come up, which you know was certainly a feature of that first term as well, but now has is threatening to sharpen to the point of basically becoming a self-parody. Mm. Is the expression of concern, right, and the caring, right? Um, and I think that you know that was best summed up in News Hub's write-up of her appearance on the AM show, which was what did it say? It was it was shared a lot on Twitter, which was Jacinda Ardern says that the fact her government cares about skyrocketing housing prices sets her apart from the national right. government. Yeah. And it's like, yes, <laughs> she, she cares. <laughs> you know, she, 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 she overs, you know, all these poor people like locked out of housing and Jacinda's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, they've got such a huge mandate this time. You, I thought, I expected that they were going to start with a hiss and a roar, but it's, it's been more crickets, really. They've been very cautious. They've, they've, they really learned that lesson about over-promising and under-delivering. So we, with the exception, I think, probably of Stuart Nash, who really came out with a lot of blue-sky thinking in the tourism portfolio about <laughs> mandatory, <laughs> mandatory toilets and vans. And, <laughs> um, but, it, but with the... <laughs> the his assertion of the right of only freeborn New Zealand citizens to shit in our rivers and streams. Some questionable science about the origins of Giardia in our waterways. Um, but, but aside from Nash, um, the, 
you know, all the other ministers have been very circumspect. You know, Michael Wood was asked about rail, light rail mm. in his home electorate of Mount Roskill, mm. and he said, look, we can't guarantee it will start within the next mm. three years. Mm. I wanted, <laughs> it was the antithesis of Twyford. The uh, anti-Twyford. Uh, hubristic <laughs> yeah. over-promising, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have to be careful that they don't go too far the other way, though, because they won't get a third term. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the, the, this, this well, is Well, look, more, then you'll never get light rail. This is more <laughs> That's visible a fourth, fifth term kind of thing. And acute than anywhere on housing. You know, we've... And that, that has been something that has not just not improved, but got worse as far as mm. house prices and the unattainability of houses to... Uh, swathes of New Zealanders are concerned. Some of that, as has been pointed out, like the that you know that's that's what happens when the Reserve Bank does what it's mandated to do, and the alternative, you you know, the, born in a large part of historically low interest rates. What the alternative, if the alternative was the economy starts to sag as a whole could be a, a heck of a lot worse. And so by pumping all that money into the body and, yep, you've ended up with this great big bulbous housing boom. But it's an issue, right? And you mentioned that they care about it, um, Ben, but you know there have been a few things in this week that's just gone in terms of trying to um, push things through using fast-track RMA legislation. The RMA overhaul, which everyone has talked about forever, uh, but also the 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 noise in the in the last couple of days from the prime minister about land banking and sort of cracking down. We haven't seen any any meat on the bone, but the idea that that's I mean that would be a popular whether or not it would make a huge amount of difference. I don't know, but it would certainly be a very popular move to crack down on land banking because well, lots of people lots of people have mixed feelings about you know mum and dad investors with another couple of properties down mm. the road. It's very very hard to make a case for sitting on a massive wedge of land in a residential area. Yeah, and the two key things are the RMA reform, which you know we can be cautiously optimistic about because they are a majority government. Um, National tried to push through further reforms um, but was stymied because of the sort of patchwork of its coalition and uh, ended up being opposed by ACT. Māori Party couldn't get Peter Dunn on board because he was packing a sad over... Um, having to resign as internal affairs minister, um, the 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 other thing is that yeah, those fast track. Um, the government has shown quite a willingness to use that fast track legislation or that that fast track process um, and kind of basically ram things through the RMA process. Um, you know, they're actually inviting developers to come forward with projects on Monday. So I think they have really grasped, I think, the urgency of this. Um, but, you know, in the background is, yeah, this this torrent of money coming into the system. And the, the logic essentially is, you know, it is, as Benetiki described, a trickle-down economics. The, the, money, the money goes in, ideally it would be loaned to businesses who would use it to create productive um, enterprise, keep the economy going. That hasn't actually happened. It's all flowed into houses, so it's just more money chasing the same assets. The side effect of this is it makes middle-class homeowners uh, feel wealthier, so they're supposedly putting more money on the credit card and spending up big and keeping the economy moving. I I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm no big city economist, but I, I'm not sure that that's 
an exactly correct view of how things are going. You know, if, if you haven't lost your job from COVID, um, you know, most people were actually sitting on quite a lot of money anyway because lockdown did result in cost savings for a lot of people. Pet savings people rates aren't travelling overseas increase. either. People aren't travelling overseas. You know, if you look at Harvey Norman retail sales, those those, yeah. those things are booming and they've been booming since the first lockdown because people are like, well, we're spending a lot of time at home. Renovations are booming. Haven't been able to book a tradie in Wellington for the last six months. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know that you have to start inflating house prices by twenty percent in order to free up people's FPOS cards. You know, that, that doesn't seem to make intuitive sense. And I don't think that was the. I mean, I think that's that's a kind of uh, that's a consequence of pumping that money. And I don't think the intention was ever. I don't. Think, I don't think anyone ever made the argument. Let's increase house prices by twenty percent so that people. Do up their kitchens? N- no, but that—that's the way that—that's the way that economic activity is being excited by all of this free money, because the f- the first choice of you know how it would be doing it, which is investment in business, investment in enterprise, yes. it has, has not panned out. The, the, it has not worked. Pe- people are yeah. not. You know, the, the interest rates are low enough that there there, there is no barrier to businesses borrowing, except that banks are worried that they might fall over and that businesses themselves, you know, don't, don't want to take on that debt. So, you know, but this is having, you know, this is not just about house prices. You know, the government will always talk about, well, we need to help people with their deposits to get into their first home. Well, forget about that. I mean, you know, look, that, that that's... A, you know that's a significant part of particularly the voting population, especially in the centre where you're looking for votes if you're Labour or National. But there are huge swathes of this country for whom you know first buy, home buying is now just that's gone as a dream or an option, mm. and it's not just in Auckland. You know where house prices have hit a million dollars. You know every small town you go to in New Zealand now, you hear the locals talking about how. Aucklanders have been swooping in, maybe not even looking at the the properties and buying them off Trade Me, for the rental, uh, for, for for the rental income and for the capital gains, right? And that means rents are going up all around small town New Zealand. So if you look at somewhere like the East Coast, which was hit hardest by, uh, or hit earliest by COVID because of closures, you know, wood processing plants uh, in the forestry area. Prices in Gisborne went up by something like 25% in the past year. Now, we know that rents follow house price increases. I mean, (laughs) so Gisborne, for instance, in the East Coast, is getting all of the downsides of COVID. It's, (laughs) and, and, and it's, you know, in in terms of job losses, in terms of property increases, asset value increases that actually the locals aren't seeing. They're just going to be paying higher rent. Um, and, you know, this is a much bigger problem than just helping young families into their first homes in Auckland suburbs. The thing, too, is that it paints the government into a corner like it's a long going to be a long-term problem because once everybody's mortgaged up to the hilt, you can't really take the heat out of the market because then everybody ends up with mortgages worth more than their assets. So it actually just compacts, compounds the problem even more, right? Yeah, somebody, somebody actually asked me the other day, you know, <laughs> which government was really responsible for the house housing crisis? 
And, you know, you could go way back and say it was the government that passed the Resource Management Act in the dying days of uh, the Labour government in the 1980s or like 1990. Um, but really, it's, it's a failure to act at each point since mm. then. Well, the thing that most people... I think, too, like, um, pr- probably the, the leaky homes um, crisis um, made it worse as well because mm. then there was a, you know, there was a whole lot of houses that, um, you know, couldn't be bought or sold or repaired and, you know, um, lots of um, developers that went under because of it, people becoming fearful about building and all of that stuff. So it's just been a perfect storm of factors that, that's... Um, Should we become a property pro- podcast? Yes. Um, I think that's where the market is now. I think let's focus on the voiceover and Sting's uh, pivot first and then maybe... For real estate auctions? Yeah, we could we could do that. Hey, what about... Um, what about if we all just get like a hundred thousand dollars each on sharesies? <laughs> like, what's how about that? What about if we just pull all everyone? Money everybody and buy has to download an available it. house in Pukekohe or oh. anywhere and rent it out to someone and then just cash capital gain. Look, I'm just spitballing mm. here, but how about boomers have to choose between a vaccine or a second home? Oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was the next topic? <laughs> Oh man! Quickly before we go, uh, the since we last gathered here, mm. the final results, the final, final, final results of the election and the referendums came out. No change on the referendums. Got closer on the uh, on the cannabis legalisation and control one, but didn't happen, and that's now been basically buried. Let's leave that for now. The most interesting. Maybe thing you'll that get happened, to vote on it in four years' time. Oh, mm. Ooh. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. that's the main thing. Is it's going to be a four-year term? Let's not talk about that. It's so boring. Yeah. The um, the the most interesting thing that came out of those specials coming in was that the Māori Party doubled the size of their caucus. Mm-hmm. So yes. so uh, now Debbie Ngarewa Packer. Have we not talked about this? I don't think we have. Ah. No, I don't think we yes, have. Aunties Joins Rawiri Waititi in a two-person caucus, um, which is, I mean, it, like to state the obvious, that's a, a 100% growth, but it does seem like it, suddenly it's suddenly it's a return of the Māori Party. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, and, and I think, too, just on a practical level, it, it, it's pretty awful being in Parliament as a one-man band. I'm sure people like Hone Harawira would attest to that. So I think it, um, in a very pragmatic sense, it also strengthens the party. Be- the party because you know he's not going to be there on his own. You know, the mm. a, a, a stranger in Parliament mm. trying to find his feet. He's going to have a mate there. They're going to be able to support each other and amplify each hat. other's voices. That's right. So um, it can only be a good thing for the Māori Party. And uh, Rawiri Waititi uh, is uh, been talking about he's not super happy about the swearing and the oath that he has to deliver. It's to, has so to archaic. Like even when you go to court, you get the choice of swearing an oath or swearing on the Bible. How is it that in 2020, 
Māori still have to 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 swear their allegiance to the Queen, and it's something that comes up in every Parliament. Mm. I remember, you know, in in twenty fourteen, it was a it was a big issue for Madama Fox, and it's been a big issue for for many many Māori MPs over the year and years. And and why it's still happening in twenty twenty? I don't understand. I don't understand the mechanisms of Parliament. Like who's talking about getting a private members bill up? Mm. To get that change, is that how it works, Ben? Like, how how would you change something like that? Oh man, this ben? Is boring procedural standing orders stuff, or is it the Constitution Act? I don't even know. Is it achievable? I think it's, it must be achievable. Is it it's like got, it's a, be achievable. Is it, is it yeah. a simple majority thing, or? Well, but the Queen would have to go to the Queen, right? Like she just someone has to call the Queen at one point. I think you just you'd inform the Queen, you'd advise the Queen. You have to ring her. That would be the Governor General, though. I don't want to ring her. You ring her. Who's going to ring her? That should be John Key's job now. They send her a PM on on the Facebook. They should get her on speakerphone in Parliament. (laughs) (laughs) Just put her on the big screen and just say, we just wanted to, I know it's a tricky time, we just wanted to raise something with you. (laughs) Would it be all right if we stopped swearing allegiance to you? Because it just seems weird. <laughs> you know what? She won't mind because she's so busy reading the articles in the New Zealand Herald every single, single, single day about Harry and Megan that she won't even, <laughs> she wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, well, well next, next, next time we'll talk about Princess Diana because I've got a lot to say about that. Um, can I also just, just time to go. Um, uh, thanks to Tina. Did I already say thanks to Tina? Another thanks to Tina, and thank you also to Tina. Tina looks exactly like Nana Muscuri today. Does she? Yes. Mm. Um, it's like my mum circa 1983. I'm feeling it. Turn on the sun. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful um, thing. You're beautiful, Annabelle. You've got a beautiful voice. Can I just say, not no hello. No hellos to the bad boys Brexit. What have you done with our Uncle Winston? He's completely disappeared. What are you doing with him? Although, although, goodbye bad boys of Brexit, but welcome back Cameron Slater. Oh? Lurking in the back of the court during the um, name suppression hearing. For are you allowed to the, say that? Yeah, it was reported okay. in the Herald. Okay. So the, 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 the name, one of the name suppressed individuals relating to yeah. the New Zealand First Foundation investigation yeah. um, submitted to the court a, an affidavit by Cameron Slater talking about how, how toxic attack blogs worked and how their name being revealed would leave them open to the predations of creeps and jerks smearing them on the internet, which apparently Slater was well qualified to talk about. And meantime, Crosstown Colin Craig is taking another lawsuit. <laughs> so, plus ça change. Uh, plus ça fucking change. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.